tonight on the Big Footy Podcast. We talk about Tony Liberatore's tanking allegations with the old Dark Navies. We talk to Mike 2009 about the Bulldogs' resurgence. And later on in the extra, we talk to the prosecutor about all things to do with the charges the AFL has leveled against Essendon. And in a second extra, in a first for Big Footy, we talk to Jeff Kennett. All this and more coming right up. Good evening and welcome to the Big Footy Podcast. I am, of course, the Wookiee. I apologise for those of you that have to listen to this. Um, with me, as always, is the Old Dark Navies. Hi, everybody. And the Prosecutor. Hello, everyone. Just and uh, presence again. And uh, Messenger is here as well. Of course I am. <laughs> and angry at me, apparently. And, Not uh, at all. <laughs> Mike 2009 joins us once more from the Bulldogs. Hey board. everyone again, hello. And SM is joining us again from the Sydney board in what is a jam-packed episode of the Big Footy Podcast. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Good evening. Guys, hello. we've... Almost had a hosting mutiny. <laughs> bit of shenanigans going on here earlier tonight. For those of you uh, who uh, don't get the edited version... Uh, my computer may have played up, sound cards may have gone a little bit haywire and it took me an hour to get on, uh, and Messenger's feeling a bit upset because his moment of glory came and went. Um, it was exceptionally well done. But he did exceptionally well, and I am most appreciative of his somewhat girly voice. Now... Get stuff. Get on with it. <laughs> Messenger Fletcher Christian. All right, guys, so... um. <laughs> so, so he's living on Norfolk Island and committing incest now. Awesome. Um... We've got, uh, we, well, we've got a big jam-packed uh, episode, as I mentioned, coming up. Guys, we've got some highlights to get through very quickly, and uh, perhaps, SM, what was your highlight from the weekend? Um, look, I reckon there wasn't too much from the Swans' end of things, um, but looking around the grounds, I reckon the West Coast upset against Essendon was pretty pretty exciting to watch and a bit deserved. Um, Essendon hasn't been travelling too well lately, and it was good to see West Coast taking advantage of that. Okay, and uh, ODN, what was your uh, highlight from the weekend? Well, Carlton looked pretty good when they ran through the banner. Um, but, but, uh, <laughs> it was a nice after, banner, after wasn't that, it? Um, I, I enjoyed the North Adelaide game and in particular seeing Daniel Wells and Rory Sloan go at it for their respective teams. Yeah, and uh, Prosecutor, what was your highlight from the weekend, Matt? Well, Essendon 2 looked pretty good coming out of the banner, but after that point, my highlight goes to the pitch invader. Uh, he's the only person in red and black that day who put in a second effort. So to you, you are my highlight of the week. Excellent. Messenger, what was your highlight from the weekend? Well, it wasn't Hawthorne St Kilda. That was a shocking game. But I did enjoy I did enjoy Francis Leach referring to Jamestown on the Offsiders on Sunday. <laughs> uh, big nod to respected big footy moderator Fifey creating that thread. Well done. And uh, who else is here that I haven't asked yet? Mike, 2009? Yeah. What was your highlight from the weekend, Mark? Uh, actually, we don't need to hear from you. Um, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> I am, of course, only kidding. What was your highlight, Mark? 
my highlight was uh, obviously to see the dogs start to actually play some football and play into some sort of form. Um, interesting the result there to see the West Coast um, defeat Essendon the way they did. And uh, the fallout from uh, the crazy Vossi sacking, which was um, out of the blue and a surprise to me at this particular point in time. Excellent. My highlight from the weekend uh, was the Monday gathering at AFL HQ for no reason at all. Just they thought that there were... Oh, sorry, the Tuesday gathering it might have been, where they were all... Oh, at, both. I think it was Monday, though, where they were assembled outside all day outside uh, AFL HQ and uh, just nothing happening. There was a live stream on the AFL website, which was, we're still waiting, we're still waiting, we're still waiting. I think they got a bit of pizza at one they point. They did get pizza. Yeah, pizza. That was the highlight of the coverage, though. So, so, um... I think that uh, may have... And, and heard reading to his kids? Yeah, yeah and heard, uh, apparently reads to his children. <laughs> Who knew? What a, uh, what a terrible person that he is. And <laughs> so uh, that was my like highlight. I Sam I am. That was my highlight. <laughs> Obviously reading in the AOD brochure. <laughs> so that was my highlight. It develops muscle growth. It speeds up recovery, children. <laughs> <laughs> and next we're going to hear about... Efficacy studies in diabetic patients. Uh, we're going to briefly go in and cover the news, and before we get to the obvious stuff, uh, Michael Voss has been told that his contract will not be renewed by the Lions at the end of the season. What are we thinking about that, lads? We... Uh, I'm not that shocked, to be honest, really. They had a, they played finals in the first year. He hasn't done a hell of a lot with them in the four years since. I think it's probably a pretty brave... And a, a fair decision from Brisbane. They need to take it in a new direction. It's just the, it's just the timing of it, though, isn't it? it, you, it the, if there was ever a time where you thought he's starting to become safe in this in, in the last couple of years, it was having them, you know, start to really be competitive and play some good football of late. So you can start to see what's happening with the list and who's coming through. So you can you can see some semblance of a plan there. Um, so I, I would have thought he was gone, you know, last year or. Um, he, he, he could have been gone many times, um, you know, in the terrible start of the season. It's just a bit strange that uh, when you finally get some hope, um, off, off he goes. The time is... Say, um, the, the main thing I've taken out of this is that I can't understand how Angus Johnson has a job, yet alone um, chairman yeah. of the Brisbane board. I can't think of a worse public speaker going around, to be honest. It was well, in a league job. where Stephen Trigg still has work. Um, there's, there's hope for everybody. Well, if Stephen Kernahan can indulge himself in public speaking, pretty much anyone can. Um, <laughs> Buddy Franklin's Instagram page was apparently hacked yesterday. Um, oh, I'm sure. As were a couple of others, I think. Dale Thomas as well. Dale Thomas as well. And Dustin Martin. <laughs> um, evidently, fun. big, big, uh, big uh, Giants logos all over the place uh, at the very height of the Essendon uh, scenario. So, um... Uh, I, th- I think this has actually happened before. Am I wrong in thinking this, where uh, someone else put this... Uh, I, th- I think it was Dane Swan put something up at the height of... Uh, there was some big issue going on, and he thought he'd put something up for a laugh to see if anyone was paying attention. Mm, clearly the only thing I can remember with Dane Swan is his <sighs> fascination with drug testers. But <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the right. AFL side got got hacked once. But, uh, that's, that's, I don't remember the other one. And uh, <laughs> Dean Brogan, the Port Premiership player and Giants Ruckman, has announced he'll retire at the end of the season. And good luck to him. He was a good servant of the game. Chris Judd has confirmed he is a certain starter in 2014, apparently. Um, 
any other mm-hmm. big news that you want to talk about before we move on to the Essendon stuff? What Essendon stuff? Well, Essendon? I'm, apparently stuff's been going on. They're in the news? Been low profile. There's a reason you've been on every week, Pross. It must have just slipped in under the uh, Michael Boss announcement. That's it. Uh, apparently, Paul Ruse has, at this point, ruled himself out of any senior coaching position. Right up until the point at which he changes his mind and takes one of the senior coaching positions. So he's the James Hurd of 2010. He is absolutely the James Hurd of 2010. I, I would still back him to take the Brisbane job. As long as he doesn't become the James Hurd of 2012, we're right. Um, I'm sorry, Pross. And if he, <laughs> and if he that, takes that, that job, still oh, if he takes that job, he should do it for no other reason than he gets off the television. Please, for the love of God, spare me another Paul Ruse called match. Oh, I mean, I think he's all right. No, he's not. He, he's 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 he pays rent- a lot of attention to my team. Uh, he, we yes. That's why no, we don't call worry. It. We'll be talking about Richie and <laughs> yeah, Richie. Richie. Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> Rocky. Sandball, See, it's worth it just to have Rocky, to have Rocky under you. He is the best player at dropping off his opponent in the league. And, oh, God, help me. Swan the couch. One, six, call it. Adam Goods. Goodsy. Um, Goodsy. And Judesy. And Mumsy. Finally just, love be- finally, just before we move on to uh, the Essendon scenario, uh, Tony Liberatore in the news again for his brief 15 minutes or five minutes of fame on the uh, tanking issue again. Uh, ODN. That's crap. That's crap. Honestly, he's, he's, he's repeated the same things he said back then. He's offered absolutely nothing new. At the end of it, he said, after going through saying, well, if that's if that's the definition of tanking, that's what they did, dot, 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 all this management. So <clears throat> he, he offered absolutely nothing, um, and everybody's up in arms calling, well, on the strength of him repeating himself all these years later, that we should be in an, an investigation into Carlton, like well, Melbourne had. I think the question you have to ask, though, is what's different from his testimony than to say Brock McLean's that triggered the Melbourne investigation? Do you, do, yeah, okay, but did Brock McLean's trigger, the, you know, certainly when Libba made his um, accusations the first time, the AFL went and spoke to various people around Carlton, including two interviews uh, with Ratton. They sat down in that last game against Melbourne and went through the whole tape and asked him questions and whatnot over over selections, match-up, tactics, all that sort of stuff. So they did do something, but with the with the Melbourne situation, <clears throat> didn't they have other players that actually backed up McLean, uh, like some of the ones that had Melbourne had given the flick to? Um, they actually backed up what he'd said. Yes, and then they, and then they found memory, out that... Though, that was during the investigation. Mm. Afterwards, yeah, so. but how far after they started? No, well, I mean, during... The, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems to me that a couple of phone calls behind the scenes go, okay, we've got enough here to actually look further. Whereas in the Carlton situation, nobody but Libba gave anything to them Didn't to go Vol- further than... And even the quotes for, that... Even no, the, no, Favola for only did that what, uh, when he put out his book three years later. Um, Favola at the time was adamant that nothing had, nothing had gone wrong. And, you know, he, you know, genuine injuries, you know, we weren't tanking, we were trying. And all Favola did when he put out his book, you know, um, was kind of reiterated the fact that, oh, you know, we didn't tag, we didn't put a man up with Travis Johnston in that last round that we normally would have. Well... I don't know who normally mans up on a on a the extra man in defence, which is the role that 
you know, Johnston was playing. Um, he, Favola only repeated what Libbis said, and to me, my way of thinking was just to promote a book. And Libbis' um, comments were uh, very much, he said this and then he retracted it and then he didn't mean what he said. And if you go, I, if you go I, back and look at those quotes, he's very non-committal about the whole process. I don't mind an investigation, but don't but don't come out with rubbish. Actually, come out with some specifics. Which players went for, went for surgery that didn't require it? Which players got brought into the side that didn't deserve a game? Because the only players that we brought in late in the year were Jamison, Hanson, and uh, Austin. All three are listed players. And the other one who got a few games late after a couple early was Greg. Again, he's still a listed player. So. You know, every everybody who plays a player late in the year when your season's over, you, you, you're tanking. You know, the, oh, yeah. There was nobody. You know, Favola went off the ground uh, for two minutes against against Collingwood from the 21st minute to the 23rd minute. Had something checked out, and went back on. Collingwood are already on a roll and in front. And people saying that cost us the game. You know, that's. The, I don't mind. Show me the evidence, and I and I won't be. I'm not going to be a denialist, but show me some specifics that actually add up, and I'll go and I'll entertain it. No worries. Okay, coming up after this short break, we're going to talk about the Essendon Asada situation and the charges the AFL brought last night. Essendon and the AFL Commission and uh, the AFL Commission last night brought down uh, apparently 25 charges against the Essendon Football Club and James Hurd and Danny Corcoran and Bruce Reed and Mark Thompson. Um, any surprises there for you, uh, Prosecutor? Um, I, was a, I must admit I was a bit surprised to see Mark Thompson's name there, mm. um, especially as he's an assistant coach. So... I'm wondering what actually makes him so special as compared to the other um, assistant coaches we've got there that warrants him being in that front group, especially if uh, Caroline Wilson's latest uh, article was to be believed where she stated that Mark Thompson was a uh, was against this program. So, so I'm a bit surprised by that. The others, not so much. Um, the charge has been brought about, but we'll see what happens with them. Okay, Kevin Sheedy today said that the charges against Reed were like putting a big gun in front of Bambi. Um, slightly uh, dramatic. I thought I, was I, Bambi. I, slightly dramatic, I suspect. The AFL said was that were... a was that a morning interview for Kevin Sheedy? They catch him <laughs> after lunch. <laughs> uh, the AFL said there were no player infractions, as uh, as could be found in the AFL report at the time. But the said the investigation was ongoing. Um, John Fahey. Uh, last night stressed that the uh, Asada investigation was separate to the AFL and Asada today said that the Asada investigation into players and whatnot is still ongoing. Um, so, again, there's a, a lot of rejoicing on the big footy forums last night that I'm still not sure wasn't entirely misplaced. Uh, Prosecutor, what are your thoughts on that? 
Um, I think it was also um, rather interesting that uh, John Fay said that he didn't see anything wrong with the AFL's statement. And I think Jared Waitley made a pertinent point, uh, I think it was tonight, that uh, the fact that this wouldn't be a reckless statement from the AFL to say that, you know, no charges, nothing in front of the AFL says that warrants charges. Now, while Asada say that it's an ongoing investigation and so forth, I'd say that if they were going to press charges, then the, uh, and let, let's be honest, they'd be in liaison with the AFL. I doubt that the AFL would come out with such a strong statement about that. And I'm not expecting any infractions to come out, especially at this stage and especially for AOD 9604. Jeez, I thought it, I thought it was a very hedge statement. <laughs> I thought they used all the right terminology to indicate that there's uh, this this is still going and at this stage and um, as you know further information comes to light, um, they um, yeah I, I don't think I don't think there was any any anything firm about that statement at all. But I think you've got to ask as well who else are they, do they have left to interview? The only one is Stephen Dank, and even though that they've got the powers to compel him to an interview. But- they don't they actually talk? have the powers to compel him to actually talk. They have the powers to compel him to give evidence, though. He just doesn't have to say anything. He do has to submit emails, text so, messages, anything like that that he supposedly must have because he's offering them to Essendon to, to back him up as late as yesterday. Yeah, but I wouldn't uh, listen to anything that uh, Dang says when he says he's got evidence. Well, I think that's been shown that's, throughout this oh, anyway. But hang on, yeah. he's, he's I mean, claiming... If, if he, one go ahead. Time, the evidence he's claiming he's got... Is, is to he claims it will exonerate Essendon, and um, he also claimed that he had a letter as well. To be honest, I don't think he has anything, and I guess that's the, that's another point when you say that, that he can be compelled to produce evidence. If he's got none to produce, then what does really Stephen Dank add to the investigation that isn't available now to Asada? But then that question goes back. To, we'll, we'll go back through Asada and the Asada report and the possible infractions against Essendon players. If he's got nothing to back up the assertion that they took nothing wrong and yet we all know that they took a banned drug under the water under the water code water ain't gonna found have a said wait if they knew that already though then why are they pressing charges because i mean if but it's an interim report if they uh i know it's an interim report but as soon as they feel like they could um produce an infraction notice they do it but uh it was reported in the herald uh the herald sun said friday that player infraction processes haven't even started Exactly. So I don't see what's going to change with Stephen Dank that would result in infractions maybe that it, would otherwise not now. Maybe it doesn't all hinge on Stephen Dank. There's a lot of unknowns about this mm. still. Um, all we know at the moment, and well, all we can assume at the moment, is that the AFL is dealing this at a club level. And as far as officials are concerned, things that Asada can't actually deal with anyway. Yeah. Uh, the they've, separ- they've separated the two things completely. Yeah. They just split that report to go, okay, this is the stuff that AFL can deal with before the finals, just, you know, to see if they can get that over the line and, and maybe apply the penalties they want to apply for dis- bringing the game into disrepute. And, the, and, and, the, and all, the, all the individual infractions regarding doping offences are sitting still on Asada's desk waiting to come out in the full report. That's, well, like, if we, that, that's if my we, take on it. Well, if we want to go down to the interim path, I mean... Is it not a? Um, is it not a? Oh, I want to say a conflict of interest, but I'm not sure that's the correct term to use for this. But surely, then, it's wrong for the AFL to base 
even part of their judgment, especially because I think the first charge that was leveled was the either the use of a prohibited substance or therefore lack of proof that one wasn't used as a charge against Essendon. If they're basing that off an interim report, then how can that be a credible charge if well, all the evidence hasn't you been filed yet? There is another piece of evidence that they have, which is called the Zutkowski report. And it's basically a process report about what happened at Essendon. And it, it could, surely that's evidence. If the Essendon have said themselves, this is what we did as a football club, surely that can be used against them. But then again, I mean, how... Why should this? Why should internal governance result in bringing the game into disrepute? If it result, especially an internal um, report, well, because it resulted in absolute negligence in terms of player treatment. It resulted in absolute embarrassment for the league um, and a possible compromised competition. And the league has to a protect its players and b protect its competition. Well, and let's just say though that Andrew Demetriou has tipped off um, Essendon, like has been alleged then has not um, the AFL been the one who's brought this in, um, Essendon in on this, if they're the one who um, alleged this and told them to self-report? Uh, hang on. There was certainly, there's certainly been a number of reports that journalists were onto this and were contacting Essendon directly well before Essendon came to the AFL in February. And well before right, the so tip-off was supposed to have happened from Demetrio. They were threatening to sue all the... the these journalists who said that there, and you know there was nothing in it, and Caroline Wilson was onto this a long ago. I know. So was Barrett. They, were, they exactly. were all talking about this. And so was Fisher's dancing. But the problem is that um, he was that, too. That, that, that's right. Yeah, it doesn't matter that if they were onto it or not, because that I mean, what does that mean in bringing the game into disrepute? I mean, because well, the fact is, because that that, that isn't going to make them self-report. Yeah, what but made the... Essendon self-report was. You know, an alleged call from Andrew Demetriou in which he gave Essendon the heads up about the ACCC report. I get that, but what I don't understand... Oh, the Australian ACC, I should say. What I don't understand is how any of that matters when it comes down to what Essendon did. We know what Essendon did. We know what Essendon told the AFL. Well, we don't exactly know what Essendon told the AFL that they did. We've only got the public report. But we know that they did stuff. And we know that yeah, that's but I'm saying, but you're it, saying it, um, it doesn't about matter how... what it doesn't matter what Demetrio told him or when he told him. It doesn't. Essendon still did it. Well, and so no, 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 you... no, no. That, that's not what I'm saying, though. Because, but you brought up some of the points about Essendon, um, you know, um, embarrassing the reputation of the AFL and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And I'm saying that the AFL had, you know, their hand in this as well with the way they've advised Essendon yeah, to handle it by self-reporting. But, but, but Pross, are you saying if Essendon didn't self-report? that the media wouldn't have been all over this. Nobody, ASADA, ACC, nobody would have been onto Essendon and actually, and the shitstorm wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the self-reporting. Is that what you're suggesting? No, I'm not suggesting, I'm suggesting it wouldn't be to this extent because what would happen is this investigation would take place, you know, in the cover of darkness because it'd be a confidentiality thing. But because of the fact that Essendon came and self-reported, it's been a public, uh, public spectacle for six or so months or however long it's been. Mm-hmm. So if, in if... essence... Um, the AFL tipping Essendon off, and I don't know if he suggested or not that um, Essendon stepped forward, but has that not um, enhanced this uh, whole scandal more than it, could, um, than it would have been otherwise if it was handled by Asada 
in the back door and all that sort of stuff. And once something had came about, they'd announce it. But it was never going to stay. But it was never going to stay there. The media were onto this. Inf- this is what we're saying. The media were already onto this, and it's the Readers. media that blew this out of proportion for everybody. So the media were always going to go down this path. It wasn't. Yeah, no doubt the media. But okay, do you think the but, media would have gone after it so aggressively on, let me, if um, Essendon hadn't self-reported? Because I think it would be worse if you didn't self-report, mate, because it would show that you weren't cooperating and that you tried to keep it hidden. So I think it might have been. But worse. is that keeping? But is that keeping it hidden though, or is that just making an unfounded claim? Because keep in mind, if they didn't self-report and they didn't know about this, then it would have come as a shock anyway. I'm, I'm just saying how it would have been portrayed. And the because you, because C- you got on the front foot and self-reported, yeah. it actually bought you, gave you some credit in the bank to at least, you know, you were going to face this and, and, and go through the process that needed to be gone through. But if you didn't do that, even if you would have, if you had known about it, it will still appear like it was somebody else had to uncover it uh, and, you, and you would have, you know, like even if you knew about it, or Dimitri had made that call when you didn't self-report, you knew about it but you hadn't actually... You know, you'd sort of kept it under wraps. That's how it would have been betrayed in the media. And it was always I going think. to explode once the AWC report came out. It was always going to. There was the media that were already working on it would have inferred everything they needed to from the AWC report. And that was yeah, coming out I, anyway. I that that was out of the AFL's the media control. Would have ran with it because I mean, if they weren't willing to risk the credibility before that, they were then... already going to run with it. Barrett was waiting for the first footy show of the season to run this massive story, and it broke before that. They had it. They absolutely had it. Oh, no doubt. No doubt they had it, but there's a difference between reporting it freely after Essendon self-reported and then reporting it where, you know, Essendon, for all they knew, knew nothing had actually happened. Because keep in mind, in those months previously, Essendon were uh, denying it because they had no idea about the ACCC uh, and Stephen Dank being interviewed by them and all that sort of stuff. Let's be honest with ourselves, though. It's a catch-all. I mean, it, it's it's not designed to go, okay, somebody's breached our disrepute rules. It's like, we believe Essendon have these substances on site. We we know from the Swakowski report that, you know, a lot of bad things were happening. We're concerned about the image of the game. If, you know, Essendon play finals and do well in finals, and how do we undo that if, after the fact, everything comes out and all these charges are laid? You know, what if Essendon become premiers? I think, I think the Essendon... The AFL are just using this as their catch-all, a convenient catch-all, because they've got it available to them. And the whole idea is to stop Essendon playing finals, in my oh, view. No, yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it's Basically, it's the Dennis Denudo, the vibe uh, sort of catch-all, where if the AFL don't say anything, if see something they don't like, but they don't have any specific uh, regulations against it, then they can go, bang, we don't like that. Yeah. However, if there has been no proven use of... Um, Performance enhancing drugs or either prohibited drugs. Because, um, yeah, I know that, but let me, I'll finish this off. Um, because you spoke of finals and protecting the integrity of finals. But if this is strictly all off field and not affecting the performance of the players or anything like that, then surely um, taking the premierships points off Essendon is a uh, step too far in that sense. That why it's, why um, is it? it was a cl- it's, a club, it's a club error. Whether it comes from the administrators, it's an or the off-field player. error, though. So it I'll doesn't matter, that. though. Whether it comes from the players or the officials, it's made by the club. You've lost four top officials in the last six months over this. You're going to lose another four at the rate they're going if the charges get get through the tribunal. This Melbourne Storm. Exactly. Lost. I was about to bring that up. Melbourne Storm. The same thing happened to them at the club yeah. area. The, play, the, the players were penalised because of a club error. 
Yeah, but the thing is, the play um, with that, they were they lost points in the year that they went over the cap, and now the cap affects the play directly they were, they were affects the players, two players because it allows right? to keep those players into the club where they're overpaying them. So in effect, that was a direct um, problem with the pay. Um, whilst it was a club and players thing, it was a players issue as well. Now, if this is all governance, then that is strictly an administration problem rather than the Melbourne Storm involved Melbourne the players was, as well. Melbourne were fined five hundred grand three years after they tanked. Wait, what? Uh, they went over the salary cap. No, yep. no, no, Melbourne Storm. I'm talking about oh, the you're Demons. Talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, the Demons yeah, were right. fined 500 grand. About? No, he's talking about, about the Demons tanking. Uh, they, demons. Got, they, they, they were penalised three years after Three they years tanked. after and, and, they tanked. And the, and the same note, Carlton were penalised in 2002 when we most needed the number one and number two draft pick. And we didn't. And we weren't penalised for going over in 2002. We were, we were penalised for years prior to that. So The AFL you know, has that, a tendency to penalise when you're caught, not when you are... Not when you offended, yeah. so yeah. But I'm not arguing about when it's caught and all that sort of stuff. I'm arguing about in this case, it's a specific, it's a governance issue, as it's not based on Asada and their drugs, um, as in specific with the players and all that sort of stuff. It is um, in the AFL's own words, it's the governance, and if it's a governance issue strictly, I think that the punishment should be off field. Yeah, I think in the that's just the way I view it. If I, they've got, I understand if there's that. drug charges and if the players received infraction notices, then that's a different, that's a whole different ball game. But as it stands, I just think that off field and administration governance should remain off field. Yeah, they know they're not going to get those infractions yeah. in time for the final. So if, if if maybe they're expecting infractions, maybe that's maybe it's another well, way of getting it. But then again. Um, what natural justice is there if they're just going off a timeline saying that if they're not waiting for all the um, evidence to come forward and a complete report to make their basis well, off? Does, do they have evidence that these, that these substances were on site? I don't know. We haven't seen the Asada report hasn't become public, so we can't say definitively well, well, what from what we know. Have. From yeah. from what we know, from Job's admission admissions, from the consent forms, from the invoices, do we have do we have a balance of probabilities there? I think we have a balance of prob- uh, probabilities for AOD. Um, other substances, I think, are still in the air, depending on who you believe and all that sort of stuff. But having said that, as I said before, um, if Asada believe they have enough proof, then the onus is on them to issue infraction notices, and I, I they haven't they... hesitated before. And if they don't, if they're not going to issue them now, I don't know what they're waiting for. Well, it might be just be that they have got their list and they're checking it twice. They're not going to miss anybody in this one. I mean, this is their this is their opportunity to make a stand on this in this league. And if they short step it or they stuff it up, and and I'd be a little bit concerned about the way Asada has or hasn't handled it. Um, they they they're not going to do themselves any favours as a government agency. They've got I Cronulla, mean, yeah. and the other thing too is that they're doing Cronulla in parallel to this as well. So I think that's. So the idea that just because there hasn't been infraction notices issued that they never will be is, is I don't think, based in any fact at all. Yeah, oh, well, I think it is a factor, though, if the AFL is trying to push these charges through before finals. I think it's because, a good... Yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry. Because um, I think if um, if they're going to if they're gonna use these um, you know, drugs on... Um, if they're going to use any part of the ASADA report uh, for basing their charges on... Then they should be waiting until you know the full report comes back and all the evidence comes in because it's all good to say that they've got to cross their eyes and dot their t's and lots, well, cross their t's and dot their eyes, but if they haven't done that and then the AFL is basing their charges off of that, 
Well, then that's just shonky and that's just pathetic, well, really. The, the governance issues are, are well known, and they're and they and they've been verified independently by Essendon. That that I don't believe they're going to change unless Stephen Dank has some other. Yeah, oh, I agree that on the I don't fire. think I don't think the governance issue is going to change. But what I'm saying is that if, but what I've been saying this whole time is that um, if it's strictly a governance issue and isn't related to the players, their performance at all, then it should be strictly an, uh, an administration fine and, and sanctions as opposed to well, a well, um, on-field given sanctions. Given the nature of the governance failures, though, you can't separate the two. The governance failures led to the lack of control of a program in which players may or may not have been injected with banned substances. And the balance of probability says that those substances were banned. So you can't say, well, this is a governance issue and this is an ASADA issue. They're intertwined. And yeah, but, I, no, I think but what I'm very... saying is if you're going to base um, any findings off that, though, then you'll wait, you'll wait for the full report to come out. You don't base this off interim evidence what, when it suits you just because of the time. If Cross, what sort of penalties? What sort of penalties would you would you be happy with? Um, it comes. A, a, it does a come. Fine, a, a fine, obviously. Oh no, I mean, yeah, no doubt, a multi-million dollar fine. Anything the range of two and five million. I think draft picks are an inevitability. But, a, but a, the draft picks affect on field, mate. Then I mean, that's not really administration thing. No, I know draft picks. Um, so it, 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 I, I, I don't. I, I think draft picks are uh, different to directly on field. I think they're more. They've done. Not, I mean, so I can I can relate salary cap to draft picks, because yeah. you know because that's about player retention and player recruitment. I can relate those two together when people are, when teams have um, penalised draft picks. But what what has a supplements program got to do? Uh, why would a supplements program have drop? Um, cause you to have draft pits taken off. It's just because yeah, that's, I, you've, I you've only got certain things available to you. Yeah, put it this way. Um, I think that, as I said, that uh, it should stay off-field, but how, um, as in off-field uh, governance issues, should uh, sanctions should remain off-field. However, I'm realistic enough to admit that there has to be some sanctions, and I think that a draft picks would be one that both parties could mutually agree upon as a settlement, as opposed to... I think it's pretty obvious, though, that Essendon's not going to be willing to take um, premiership points or the suspension of players lightly from the AFL based on governance issues. Well, well then they've got the suspension of those four club officials to talk and about. And I think, um, yeah, they're going to be vigorously defended. And I think it's becoming more and more inevitable that it could very well end up in the Supreme Court. All right. Well, I, I... From, and from there, I honestly don't know what could happen. Just, just before Wookie winds up, just one other note. The focus is on James Hurd, but as somebody who works in, in health industry and has had some exposure to sports medicine, I, I don't underestimate how much uh, skin Bruce Reed's got in this game. He's a uh, oh, Bruce Reed, yeah, a physician definitely. of long standing, a very high reputation, and uh, I, I feel desperately for him because he is. Um, I've had some dealings with him and his and his clinic, and he's a good guy, and I think it's a terrible shame. But I think the uh, the thing that intrigues me about Bruce Reed is that there was this alleged letter that he tried to get to the board, and apparently, you know, his sentiment was against the program, and apparently he didn't allow any substance that um wasn't compliant with the wider code. Now, I don't apparently Steve Dank went behind his back and commissioned other doctors to do such and such, but I I wonder what um, Bruce Reed actually did or what inaction he didn't do 
um, that's led to him being charged. He's in he's in Ian Robson's uh, situation, then, isn't he? Ian Robson was essentially dismissed for what he didn't know, or or, was, or, or stood down for what he didn't know, as opposed to what he should have known. But then again, I mean... There are no knowns and unknown knowns and known knowns, yes. Yeah, but so that still confuses me, though, how um, Bruce Reed actively brought the game into disrepute. Mm. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up there. We're going to move on. Um, And we're going to have a bit of a positive story, and this is why I wanted Mike on, uh, because uh, the Bulldogs are doing pretty well, and we're going to talk about that after a little bit of soothing music. talking to Mike 2009 who is from the Western Bulldogs board and at least I hope he is because uh, otherwise I've made a very grave error here but they had a very good win on the weekend over the Blues and uh, it has been something of a uh, renaissance in the last couple of weeks and we talked to Mike 2009 very early in the season I think round two about uh, his team's fortunes and well he wasn't too uh he wasn't too pleased with how they were going back then let's face it and uh, well, Mike, how have uh, how's, how things have changed? Well, firstly, hello everyone, and uh, good to be back. And uh, I, th- I think the first thing I'm going to do is get on to Chief and get him to change my username. Everyone, every time I get on one of these podcasts, everyone has to say 2009. But anyway, that's another story. Um, yeah, look, going back to when we first spoke, it wasn't I wasn't displeased. It was I think more being realistic about where they were uh, at that particular point in time. You know, there was. A they were a bit sort of all over the place, running around like headless chooks. But I think as as time has gone on, and this is probably more prevalent towards the middle of the year when it started to happen, is we really started to see the players take on um, McCartney's game plan. And I think it's it's over the last month or five weeks or six weeks, what have it not, that it's you can actually really start to see that shaping. Uh, we're not saying that it's perfect by any means, and they've still got a long way to go, but you can actually now start to see them. They've they've gone through the hard yards of uh, learning or winning the contestant possession, but um, winning the footy is great, but uh, you've got to be able to do something more with it. But I think what, what McCartney's done is he's, he's teach, taught them first how to win the footy, and now he's teaching them how to use that footy. So you can certainly see in the last couple of weeks um, that the uncontested possessions, um, the inside 50s, the clearances, all the important um, 
parts that build up a complete game are really starting to come together and I think that's where the players themselves can really start to see that all the work they've been doing in the past has had some sort of greater purpose. So looking at it more of a holistic approach rather than just pinning it down to a particular stat. Yeah. Um, I'll get, I guess I'll ask the first question. You've spoken about the last couple of weeks and how um, supporters and the players are buying into McCartney's um, style and ethos of football. Um, I guess... What was for you? What was the moment where you um, you bought into McCartney's um, style of play? Um, I'm I'm one of these people that's actually supporters that's been sitting on the fence. Um, I'm I'm looking at the approach that you got to look at the uh, performance or the record of the coach in his first contract period to really get an understanding of of where he's at with the list. Um, where the plays are with him and where he's taken the team in, in terms of measure and performance. Uh, the first, Last year, um, it wasn't good. Um, it was a bit of an anomaly um, compared to the previous years of, of where the team was at, but that was understanding. It was a different coach. It was a completely different game plan and um, a, a very, very different mix of players in the list. Sort of started off uh, in similar fashion this year. We had we started off the year well with a good win over Brisbane, but then lost the next eight games. And a lot of people were questioning whether or not McCartney had the ability to coach, um, whether or not he was a match day coach um, and he could make the decisions. There were a number of uh, decisions that a number of supporters, including myself, couldn't understand of playing players out of position. But when you look at his response and his philosophy over over why he's persisted with plays, um, and, and one of those examples was playing Cooney across the half back line. Um, we had a a young guy, Jason Johannesson, who's actually out for the rest of the year with with an injury. But um, and this was a decision that was prevalent in the Melbourne game that we lost about a month or two months back, where um, Cooney was played in the back line. Um, and Cooney just looked like a duck out of water. Uh, his, his ability to put pressure was non-existent. Um, he didn't... I don't think he had the uh, ability to adapt um, from where he'd been currently used to playing, which was more of an attackive, offensive midfielder role. But what, what uh, McCartney's approach has been is to, rather than give players the easy way out of uh, responsibility for for their game, he's actually putting players and forcing the position to be able to adapt their game and be, be able to uh, put defensive repression, put defensive pressures on their roles no matter where they're playing across the ground. And we've certainly seen that. We've seen a little bit of a change. Um, I don't think Cooney is, is suited to that position he's been playing, and I think he's purely there because of circumstances with Johansson and uh, a number of other things with the list. But... Uh, along the lines there, you've, you've seen that with not just him, but you've seen that with a few other players where the persistence of McCartney to play them out of position and teach them defensive skills has, has been a huge bonus on their attacking game. Beautiful. I guess as, a, as another supporter of a team that have recently played the Dogs, I have noticed their intensity has, has gone up in recent weeks <clears throat> and the team's gelling a lot better now. But where would you identify as the one area more than any other that you really need to strengthen over the off-season? Um, one of my key criticisms has been delivery into the forward 50. Um, 
they still we still have some issues there. Um, having Grant has been a revelation. Um, he's he's come out of nowhere, and and to his to, to all fairness, he's he's had a bit of problems this year with injury and illness, but. Uh, over the last few weeks, Grant has been one of those players, and and, and crumbing forwards or crumbing talls, a third tall option that we've we, we've really missed. Being able to bring the ball down to ground level and provide that opportunity for the smalls or even himself to to take on that position. I think we've also had um, we've had some problems with Ace Cordy, who hasn't quite developed the role that I think people were thinking he was going to develop. I don't think he's a KPF. He's more of a he's more of a ruck. Uh, a mobile ruckman around the grounds, and um, Liam Jones has has been up and down through the year. Um, he's he's still learning the game, and I think he's still yet to find his position. I think he's more of a deep forward playing across uh, the half forward line, more into the centre. Um, so I don't think he's ever going to be a key position forward. So until we have uh, so until we have some hard body players across the forward line who can actually create. Um, a bit of uh, competition there and, and contest the ball down to ground level. I think we're, we're still going to have some fine-tuning to do across that forward line area. Um, Mike, I want to ask you about Adam Cooney. He's had a great game um, beating in the, in the win over Carlton on the weekend. Probably hasn't had a terrific couple of seasons and there is speculation he's talking to a couple of other clubs at the moment. Is he somebody you really need to hold on to, or is it somebody you don't see as being part of the list long term? Before I answer that question, I'm going to give you a bit of background on Cooney and his injury, um, because it's something similar to what I've I've had to go through and what I've experienced. Cooney, back in the 2008 um, qualifying final against Hawthorne, he cracked his kneecap. Um, and what happens when you crack your kneecap is you lose the surface lining underneath, which protects from inflammation across where the kneecap glides across the joint of the knee. Over the years, he's had a regime of um, injections of cortisone and um, synvisc, which is a fluid um, to provide lubrication in the joints. Um, no, nothing suspicious there. Um, mm. But um, the problem is, is once you damage that lining, it's the, the, the damage is irreversible, it can't be repaired. And you have a problem where the joint, you start to form bone spurs on the bone because effectively what you get is bone rubbing on bone. So you've got a constant regime of having to have surgery, um, corrective surgery to, to, to groove that out. What that does, however, though, is it causes problems and it increases inflammation and swelling on the knee um, and has problems with, with a lot of persistent pain. Now, what he's had to do um, in the last 12 months is, is find a, an alternate uh, treatment course of action for that and what, how that happens or what they've done for that is they've gone to Germany and they're trialling a, uh, a medical procedure which takes blood out of his arm. It gets spun through a machine to extract the plasma from the cells and basically it injects that back into his kneecap and what it's doing is it's inhibiting the inflammation. It isn't quite taking it away but it's, it's slowing it down. So since he's been on that he's been able to to slowly come back into form, but this is not something that's going to be um, that's going to get back into his his best on ground or, or his 2008. Um, with a particular injury like this, the long term result is a knee replacement. And I had a chat with um, Adam. We had our play sponsor night a couple of months back, um, 
and I had a chat with him and, and seen how he was. And uh, he, he was contemplating retiring at the end of the year or last year mm-hmm. um, before giving this another go. And um, he was, he's been told by a number of medical experts that he'd be looking at an air replacement um, by his mid to late 30s, which I've already had one myself. I had one last year. So I, I, can, I can certainly... Um, I, I can certainly understand where he's coming from and how this injury affects him. So Ooh. what he's so what he's what he's experiencing now is basically a peak in his in his physical performance, um, which the treatment is is working. But these treatments don't last forever, and the body starts to not just get used to it, but I think it just it, it starts to become inefficient over a matter of time, which happens with the injections and all the other treatments. So Cooney's knee is always going to be a liability. Um, to him and any other club that might take him on. Yeah. Now, on the question of whether or not he's required on the list, I think he is. Um, when, when Cooney's on, he's on. Um, I, I still think he can be great value to the club, especially for the young uh, midfielders coming through, the outside midfield, midfielders especially. Whether or not another club is prepared to take on that risk with Cooney because it's a matter of, um, you know, he can break down at any time or his, his injury um, is, is not stable. Um, I guess that's a decision for Adam and another club to talk over. Um, I, I don't want to make any speculations on if he has been talking to any other clubs, but um, the, the feeling there within the supporter base is that you know people want him to stay, and 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 uh, he he still can be seen as a valuable contributor going forwards. All right. Um, guys, we're going to leave that there. Thank you very much, Mike, two thousand and nine, for uh, coming on and talking about the Bulldogs with us. Thank you. Um, SM, while you're here, anything about the Swans we need to know? Um, not too much. Just trucking along. I think, to be honest, the loss to the Pies was one that we had to have, and it should hopefully um, stimulate the boys to, to try a little bit harder in the last couple of weeks with a couple of decent games coming up against the Cats and the Hawks. And Mumford, he's staying, he going, or...? Look, I reckon the form he's in in the last few weeks is probably going to help his cause for staying. Um... I reckon if he can stay fit for the rest of the year um, and in this sort of form through finals, it really should lend itself to um, giving him the sort of contract he's after. But at this stage, um, nothing too concrete, I wouldn't think. I think the one the one thing I did want to mention is I'm a little bit concerned that we're getting a bit too tippet conscious. I think that really showed against the Magpies. And if our midfield can get back to the unpredictable scoring goals from um, you know Hanabry or Jack or Kennedy or, or pretty much any of them, um, that'll do us a lot better in the run-in. Just a, sorry, just one quick question on Sydney. Um, Goodsy, how's his fitness going, and, and do you see him um, being able to play finals? Yeah, he, he's, he, uh, it's a bit hard to know with our injury staff. He's about a couple of weeks away, but he's been a couple of weeks away for a while now. Um, he, he's, he's probably the only one on the injury list, I would say, as a walk-up start to come straight back in um, and can play himself into some form pretty quickly. So I think out of our injury list, he's the only one I'd um, make a certain inclusion for the finals team. Okay. Messenger, Hawthorne, how are they looking? Uh, Not that good, to be honest. I wouldn't say they're in prime form right now. I think that Collingwood game's going to be a very tight run thing. And then we've got North Melbourne and Sydney to finish off. Um, Look, 16 and 3, hate to say that you're uh, a bit concerned at 16 and 3, but those last three weeks, as I say, I think there's a number of equations in which we drop out of the top two 
and we could end up with an interstate trip if we're not careful. But, uh, yeah, next Friday night's a big litmus test for us. Okay, and uh, Prosecutor Essendon on-field, how are they looking? Uh, I think it's um, pretty obvious to everyone. We've got the August Blues or whatever it is. Uh, used to be Ju- used to be June, didn't it? Now it's August. Um, Slightly postponed. Uh, exactly. So um, I think oh, there's the positive and negatives to come out of it that... Um, we're going. We're batting deeper into the season now, and I think the last two seasons have been obviously impacted firstly by injuries, and then this year by the um, off-field saga. But I think, I mean, in 2011 we finished three and one, so there's positive signs there. We can get a bit of a clean run at it, but the problem is you can't really rely on a clean run. So hopefully this week we really do need a win, because there's a very realistic chance that Port Adelaide could jump us into seventh. So I'm hoping for especially against North Melbourne, because we all know the hostilities between Essendon and North supporters on Big Footy. So I'm hoping that we can turn our form around and hopefully build towards a first final. And I'm hoping that the players, with the statement they've released about feeling vindicated and all that sort of stuff, can be rejuvenated and have a second wind and really build up some form, similar to Collingwood, as they did a couple of weeks ago, after having a couple of poor weeks against the expansion teams. Okay, Odeon, the Blues. It, yeah, one one Carlton thing. Uh, Chris Judd came out today and said we are a mediocre team. You don't really see that from uh, from players, so um, that's that's quite interesting. So he's completely buying into the changes that are. That you... Speaking of changes, will we see um, Nick Graham this week finally? Oh God, Jesus! Oh, look, if we say no, he might get a game. The poor bugger, because we're on, a, we're we're riding that horse all the way, and he's not getting a game. I we don't had, know uh, what else he can do. One of our one of our uh, one of our Big Footy Blues podcast members uh, interviewed Nick Stevens um, last week, and uh, Nick was pretty sure that Nick uh, that Nick Graham was going to get a game, being uh, being a gippy gippy lad. Um, and it, it didn't happen. So everybody's on him, uh, and I think Mick's trolling us. So I don't believe Nick Graham exists. I think he's a <laughs> unicorn. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to move along very quickly as uh, we're, like I said, on, in the middle of a bumper podcast, and it is going to be longer than normal, but Chief kills me if uh, these things go uh, too long. Um, highlights, guys, so to the AFL website, for those of you that aren't already there, and uh, yeah, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, okay. It, Prosecutor, first up, you. Oh, I'll ask for a minute. Um, I guess I'd say the... Um, I'll go to Hawth- There's a lot, actually, to look forward to it this weekend. I'm looking forward to the Hawthorne-Collingwood game because that should be a very high-quality game, hopefully. Richmond-Carlton's always an interesting game, and we'll see if Richmond can continue on with finally winning. And apart from that, um, the Bulldogs will be interesting to see if they can maintain the rage against Adelaide, and hopefully Essendon North can live up to the expectation that the off-field rivalry between the two supporters on Big Footy has established. Okay, and ODN, your highlights from uh, what are you looking forward to on the weekend? Well, can, can I just ask the question: Is Vossi is he is he finished or is he coaching out the last couple yeah, of days? No, he's done. So I'm looking forward to the coaching bounce, uh, Brisbane Lions versus GWS, <laughs> being proven yet again. <laughs> Uh, uh, how 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 lucky am I there? Well, it's, it's... messenger. How you? Um, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, this round starts well, ends badly. Uh, I, Hawthorne Collingwood will be a terrific game, but Essendon North Melbourne's got a little bit a, a little bit in it, and maybe we can coax a certain uh, political uh, Twitterer and occasional big footy contributor back to the uh, boards <laughs> in the event of a in the event of a favourable result. 
Oh, even unfavorable, I'd like him to come on. In fact, even an unfavorable result would be even funnier. But, just like, so we'd um, like him to come on. <laughs> it, it might be a sneak. West Coast, I mean, West Coast home record's pretty dreadful. The Cubby House of slight discomfort. But could they just show a little bit of ticker this week and, and do S, SM and I a favor and beat the Cats? Who knows? Well, Essendon's playing everyone into form, so there's every chance that could happen. Okay, Mike, Mike 2009, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, I'm looking forward, obviously, to seeing if we can knock off Adelaide and, and keep that form going in through the rest of the year. And um, I think the big game Friday night will be interesting, Hawthorne Collingwoods, um, to see who can uh, who can trump who and and who can get into some form leading up to uh, September. Okay, and SM, what are you looking forward to on the weekend, Mike? Look, to be honest, I reckon the Hawthorne-Collingwood game has more interest to me than the um, Swans game. I reckon the Swans game against the Saints is going to be pretty dour and unexciting. So I reckon that Hawthorne-Collingwood game could um, end up deciding a lot for us in where we finish up, um, as well as, I guess, the West Coast-Geelong game. But I, I, you know, I'm not putting too much faith on West Coast in that one. Um, and then, like prosecutors said, I reckon the Essendon-North game is also going to be pretty interesting to watch. Mm. Excellent. I'm looking forward to the uh, Tigers and Blues game on the Saturday afternoon footy, and uh, I think uh, I think the Blues will win. So I'm ever the yeah, opti- no, I'm no, ever the optimist. So <laughs> mind you, I reckon if the Blues win that one, that almost locks us in for top four. So I guess that one's also a pretty important one for us. Oh, right. Collingwood are um, tied on points with Richmond, aren't they? Uh, but the worst. Yeah, actually, that's true. I yeah, Collingwood's sh- Collingwood's just ahead of Richmond on the ladder by a point five. I, I, Let's I, just shovel dirt on Carlton's season now. I, w- I, just, I would also just, just like to complain about Hawthorne getting another Friday night game. Uh, well, I'm getting fed up with. Watching. I'm just getting fed up with watching them every Friday night. It's it's. it's <laughs> oh, they finish with three Friday night games, don't they? Do they have one the next week? No, as well? next week's. Um, oh no, sorry, it's Collingwood West, West Coast. Coast. So much Hawthorne. Don't other teams deserve a crack on Friday nights? Well, we gave Carlton a crack, and frankly, you put us all to sleep. It was dreadful. So you can go back to downloading some others to um, season three. Hey, hey, hey. hey. <laughs> I've already got it. Sorry, <laughs> season four. <laughs> I'm on birds of a feather at the moment. Um... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the good life. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, guys, thank you very much for coming on tonight. Um, again, I apologise for the uh, shenanigans at the start, but thank you very much, SM and uh, Mike2009, our special guests for the evening. Uh, may your teams have some good fortune as the year goes on. Prosecutor, thanks for uh, putting up with us again tonight. I don't know how I do it. And uh, Messenger... Sign on the dotted line, big boy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And ODN, as always, I'll see you tomorrow right. night for the Blues podcast, assuming all, said, works go, all, all goes well and works for us all. But thank you all very much for coming on, and uh, we'll see you all next week on the podcast, and we'll see you all shortly on the forums.